so this is Tracy. Can you guys hear me? Yes, Excellent. So we were going to have a recording. We're going to get to it. So what's so exciting today is that we just finished a show with two co-authors of mine in a new book that's called Ignite Happiness. So we have Sarah. Sarah, what's your last name again? Sarah Cross. Cross. Sarah Cross. And where are you located, Sarah? I'm in New Zealand at the moment. Perfect. And, and so you, you, we're co-authors in a book that's launching on August 28th called... Ignite Happiness. <laughs> yes. I'm so excited. Are you happy? Absolutely. So, and Tracy, Tracy Stone, you're where are you located? My lovely Tracy, I am in <laughs> Ireland. I am in the sunless part of the world, the green, <laughs> rainy, beautiful Ireland. Well, uh, well, we are so glad. And you're from the UK. I am originally from Ireland, but I live in the okay. UK okay. and back in Ireland to help out with family. Perfect. And I know, Sarah, you're from the UK, but you're in New Zealand. That's right. So what's exciting about the book that we're launching is that it's an international bestseller, or at least it's going to be an international bestseller by a publisher who's only done international bestsellers. So it's so exciting. It's exciting to have you ladies join us. Now, What's interesting is we just had a conversation about Ignite Happiness. And we have Eddie. Eddie, pronounce your last name, please. I know you're co-chair of the, I'll let you introduce yourself. Full name and then who are you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Eddie Nyasulu. So that's a Nyasulu there. Tracy was uh, struggling yes. to pronounce there. Thank you. So if, if you can pronounce Netanyahu, you should be able to pronounce Nyasulu. Nyasulu? Did I get it right? Nyasulu? Nyasulu, yeah. Okay. So I uh, was born in Malawi and uh, I moved here about 20 years ago. So I've lived here about 20 years. Um, I've worked for a national food chain store, very popular one here in the USA for uh, uh, the past 15 years as an operations manager. And uh, currently I also uh, volunteer with uh, uh, Washington State Coalition of African Community Leaders. Uh, it's an organization here in the uh, Seattle area uh, that uh, focuses on providing a platform for uh, community leaders and uh, community organizations uh, for resource and uh, information. Uh, Tracy is actually an uh, uh, advisor. She sits on the advisory board for that organization. And that's where I met Tracy actually uh, in February when I uh, uh, was elected to uh, the board. Yeah. Yes. And the, the organization is amazing. It's like how many how many how many uh, organizations are part of it? 30, 40, the number changes. Yeah, the, the number is big, but the ones that are really active, uh, we have 27 that are 27, really okay. Active, but we know that the number is bigger than that. But uh, those are just organizations. On top of those organizations, we have individual leaders people who are in their own community, they have maybe 300 people uh right. they, Know, they, they, they're taken very serious in their leaderships, uh, but they don't have like a formal organization. So we right, have those right. as well. And that is uh, over 100. I, I love that. So what, what's exciting about today is we're going to combine two of my passions. So we have two beautiful ladies. Dr. Tart may join us again. Um, and we have Eddie. And the first passion is all these, these books that I'm writing, they're all about igniting happiness. The second one is called Loving the Journey, Living the Dream. The third one is called Ignite Possibilities. I'll be doing that as a compilation book as well. 
And it's about bringing joy. And that's really what Bigger Than Me the, is really has been all about. This Bigger Than Me TV, this Bigger Than Me, the shows, the weekly engagements have all been about how do we, the vision is we use technology, community, and positive psychology to help good people do great things. That, that's been, you know, another joy for me. Uh, but full disclosure, part of who I am and part of my identity, I've always worked, like you said, I'm part of the executive advisory board for this group. I'm president of the National Black MBA Association, Seattle chapter. Um, I started my own ministry, which is a ministry of the mind to help people to think differently about these concepts of racial equity and inclusion. So it is an area where I'm passionate about driving change. You know, now more than ever, I feel like there's an opportunity uh, for us to drive change. And um, I'm leading an initiative called the Bigger Than Me, success series and we're bringing together leaders i'm gonna have nate nathan show the flyer real quick so we're bringing together leaders also from around the nation uh who are who are you know committed to this concept of actually changing the status quo it excites me it excites me to no end because what really really is important is how do we what can each of us do to drive change and so what we're going to do today is i'm going to share a few um a few videos from that event and we're gonna talk about them, right? And then I was gonna have Eddie tell us a little bit about his experience, but I wanna bring you ladies up to speed because you're not from the US. So our, our you know, cultural history is, is a little different, which is why I think it's gonna be so interesting to hear your perspective. Um, bring the fire back up real quick, Nathan. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a quick highlight to the names of the people who are on it. And so uh, next to me is Bruce Thompson. He's president of the National Black MBA Association. Next to Bruce is Michelle Avan. She's absolutely amazing. She's a, a, an executive uh, for Merrill Lynch and, and Bank of America. Next to her, the handsome older gentleman with the gray hair is Bill Wells. He's an ex-chairman of the board for the national organization. Um, and the National Black MBA Association, I'm saying MBA for Masters in Business Administration, not NBA for the National Basketball Association. <laughs> clarify. Uh, uh, it's a professional organization and the largest professional organization in the country. Uh, we host this annual conference in September. You can check out our website. It's nbmbaa.org. Um, Bill, you know, he's currently a consultant, but he's also been a vice president, you know, chief diversity officer. So he's been working in this space for decades, decades. And, and, and you know, and when you have people like Bill who who's still optimistic about change, even though, you know, his communication to me is a lot of things really haven't changed in 40 years. So there's some, you know, opportunity we hope to really drive change like we've never done before. Next to Bill is, is Germay. He's one of our uh, King County uh, councilmen. Um, he's actually not actively involved per se, but he's very supportive. He has a lot of things going on, as you can imagine, uh, in, in Seattle, but he's very supportive. He, he, he actually basically provided a, a confirmation of the work we're doing, that it's the right work in right now. Uh, below me is, um, her name is uh, Sonia Stalling. She's president of the Atlanta chapter of the National Black MBA Association. And what's really exciting about this initiative is that it is a national initiative. We were all coming together to drive change and that and that that's super exciting next to um uh sonia is rex brown he's part of the governor's board for business diversity uh we have a handsome gentleman his name is eric bear with me uh walton i can't even read my own handwriting um uh 
I just met him through someone else. And I know his business is called Win Anyway. So that's how I think his middle name is Win, um, W-Y-N. So his, his, it's called Win Anyway. And so we've had a similar experiences. And his whole mission is about bringing people together to drive change, despite the challenges that we know exist in corporate America, despite the, the challenges that we, we know exist from a racial equity and inclusion perspective, Win Anyway. So he's all about success. And it's, it's, he's amazing. Um, we have Eddie, who's next. And then Rachel Green. Rachel is the person who 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 actually got me introduced to the Ignite family. She was in the prior book, Ignite the Inner Goddess. She was also uh, the prior president of the Seattle chapter of the National Black MBA Association. So I had to get all those introductions out because I think it's important to give people credit for the great, amazing work that they're doing. And so when I said earlier that I'm starting a movement, you know, you might be wondering what a movement is. there's There's a movement video that we could show uh, I'm going to ask Nate if he could show that really, really quickly. Um, because I think it's important for us. Do you see it, Nate? Or do you, well, just go to number one. Go go play whatever number one was on our uh, run sheet, and we'll go with that. So basically, let me know when you're ready. What I did for this event on 7-7, and so we've created these amazing highlights. So I've talked about what we're doing, why this is important. It's an invitation because all the things that are being protested in the streets of um, America are actually happening in corporate America as well. So what I showed is this real quick clip around, um, it's a TED talk that talks about how to start a movement. We're starting a movement. We are starting a movement. We're really changing the status quo. And this movement is called the Bigger Than Me Success Series, achieving racial equity and inclusion in business, education, wealth, and health. Ladies and gentlemen, at TED, we talk a lot about leadership and how to make a movement. So let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons from it. First, of course you know, a leader needs the guts to stand out and be ridiculed. (laughs) But what he's doing is so easy to follow. So here's his first follower with a crucial role. He's going to show everyone else how to follow. Now notice that the leader embraces him as an equal. So now it's not about the leader anymore, it's about them, plural. Now there he is calling to his friends. Now if you notice that the first follower is actually an underestimated form of leadership in itself. It takes guts to stand out like that. The first follower is what transforms a lone nut into a leader. Here comes a second follower. Now it's not a lone nut, it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd and a crowd is news. So a movement must be public. It's important to show not just the leader, but the followers, because you find that new followers emulate the followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people and immediately after, three more people. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point. Now we've got a movement. (laughs) So, Notice that as more people join in, it's less risky. Those that were sitting on the fence before now have no reason not to. They won't stand out, they won't be ridiculed, but they will be part of the in crowd if they hurry. So. Over the next minute, you'll see all of the uh, those that prefer to stick with the crowd because eventually they would be ridiculed for not joining in. And that's how you make a movement. But let's recap some lessons from this. 
So, first, if you are the type, like the shirtless dancing guy, that is standing alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals. So it's clearly about the movement, not you. <laughs> okay, but we might have missed the real lesson here. The biggest lesson, if you noticed, did you catch it? Is that leadership is over-glorified. That yes, it was the shirtless guy was first, and he'll get all the credit, but it was really the first follower that transformed the lone nut into a leader. So as we're told that we should all be leaders, that would be really ineffective. If you really care about starting a movement, have the courage to follow and show others how to follow. And when you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first one to stand up and join in. And what a perfect place to do that, Ted. Whoever you are, culture by definition is about how we change things together. And it starts with telling our stories. Here's what Brene Brown has to say. If we own our story, we get to write the ending. And if we don't own our story, the story owns us. And I think in the gifts of imperfection, I really, that was the first time in my life personally that I've owned my story, that I wrote about, hey, look, I had this complete breakdown at 41. Um, I fell apart. I got, I was so tired and exhausted from trying to outrun vulnerability and outrun perfectionism. If we think about collectively, if we know it's true in our own lives that the stories we own, we get to write the ending, and the stories that we don't own, own us, we can take that micro lesson and apply it in a macro concept, in a community concept. The stories that we don't own collectively own us. We have to own the story in order to write the different ending. And I know it's painful but it's not as painful as spending our lives running from our story. And our collective story in the United States is a story of white supremacy. That is the story, that's our story. And we have not owned it, so now it, it, it owns us, it still owns us. And it defines us because we have not had the courage to step in and own the story and say, this is the truth about where we come from and what we've done. And it's, I think what's really powerful for me personally is understanding that the pain of owning, the pain and discomfort of owning that story is, is tiny compared to the pain and discomfort of living out that story. You love that. I, I love those two videos. And so I'm gonna go to you, Eddie, and ask you two questions. So first of all, what made you want to start to basically, what made you want to join this movement? And then why is it important for you to tell your story? Yeah, uh, man, you have a way of getting- uh, Right uh, to it, people... we don't have time. <laughs> Get to it, baby, let's go. No, just all right, just... all right. And I think it's, just... uh, it's, I think it's accountability. I think for me it was accountability, uh, uh, like that lady said, uh, owning the story. Uh, that goes with accountability. Um, if there's something that bothers you and you keep on carrying it, uh, you have not faced it. So the accountability comes in. So for me, I think uh, I think I was talking to Tracy. I was telling you that uh, in my career as operations manager, most of the times, most of the places I've gone to, I've been uh, the only black person, right? And uh, for me, it didn't really occur uh, that that on its own was kind of problematic uh, because you know I didn't. I wasn't born in this country. So for me, I was like, oh, you know, this is great. I've moved up, 
my chain ladder. I'm here. I've worked so hard uh, until we'd go to these functions. And my wife would be like, hey, babe. I'm like, yeah. It's like, do you know you're the only manager, black manager? And I was like, I'll look back and everybody's white. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Why do you have to remind me that I'm black? But uh, that, you know, that, that kept on carrying on. And uh, to a point where by, uh, when I was working, New York, when I got transferred to New York, that was a different environment. There were so many black employees. Uh, quite a bit of black managers. And I was telling a story uh, that uh, you carry on the company policies, no matter how bad they are sometimes. What's on the paper, sometimes it's not. What you practice, the culture of the company, sometimes is totally different from what the company preaches. So in my case, um, it was like that. Uh, whereby, uh, you know, I was, fought and I was part of the people who were following the, the culture. Uh, but, you know, when you see what's on the paper, sometimes it doesn't make sense. So a good example would be like uh, if I have an employee who's white, um, has the same, has made the same mistake as a black employee, uh, the black employee was likely to get fired. Uh, the way we reprimand our black employees was totally different from white employees. But you don't think about it. You just do it because it's the culture of the company. The company doesn't tell you to do that. But you are just trained to do things that way and the things keep on carrying on and on. Um, one story that really, really, really uh, touches me was um, one of the employees, I was called into the office by my boss and uh, another manager uh, to sit in to uh, discipline an employee. And she comes in. Uh, I wasn't aware what kind of discipline we were going to give to this employee, but I was like, you know, it's a process we sit in and to make sure that someone is writing down what's happening in there, uh, witnesses are in there. And then uh, she was getting terminated. Uh, so while we we're going through the process of terminating her, we had to tell her why. And the reason that was given to her was because she was in sub subordinate to one of the managers. Uh, this is the white manager. The employee was black. And uh, so they're like, uh, yeah, you were listening to music. We told you to stop listening to music from your headphones. Uh, but you, uh, you refused to do that. And she said, yeah, I didn't like the music that was playing on an intercom. And this is after hours, right? And uh, yeah, so you're going to get terminated. She cried. She begged for her job. Uh, it was painful to watch. And I stood there uh, with no words. I didn't even say anything. I didn't interject and try to help. But I sat there uh, until the whole process was over. We, you know, she signed the paperwork. She walked out. It never left me. This was about probably like seven years ago. And uh, it has always bothered me. And until like uh, two months ago when I called her, uh, I still had her number. I called her to apologize that I, as a manager, I failed her. I sat in that meeting and I didn't do anything about it. And why? Uh, it's because I was comfortable with my paycheck, uh, and I was sitting there with my, uh, uh, you know, my peers who are Caucasian who are white, and the decision that was made, I totally disagree with it. That was totally out of control to do that. Right. Uh, but 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 it was amazing that her approach to it, when I called her, and this is the first time I'm speaking with her since she was terminated, uh, she was so gracious. She's like, hi, Eddie, how you doing? And I'm like, hi, I thought you were going to just cast me out. She's like, why? I was like, you know, that situation, blah, blah, blah. She's like, no, I never heard anything against you. Uh, it was unfortunate they did that, but that was a blessing. I'm doing very well. And I feel better, but at the same time, uh, that was one of the things that uh, I carried for a long time. I never faced it, 
face to face until that moment. So these are the things that corporate, uh, this corporate, corporate America, most of these uh, corporates in America, I should say, um, they have policies on the paper that looks great, but the culture of the company is toxic. And most of the uh, black employees, um, even managers, they carry these policies. As a matter of fact, um, I was talking to this one uh, executive uh, from this company, incredible guy. He was telling me, he said that uh, one of the biggest mistakes the companies, the corporate do is to promote a black manager, right? So they'll promote a black manager to be like a vice president. And then all the problems, uh, racial problems are gone. Uh, <laughs> but, 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 you know, what policies is that black executive or black vice president carrying? Uh, in, in my case, I was operations manager. What policies was I carrying? What culture? Was I uh, uh, right. carrying right. in the company? Oh, I, would, I wanted to pause real quick and interject because when you said they hired that one black VP or that one black director or that one black, black manager and all the problems are gone, I want to make sure people know he was joking, right? It's in their minds, right? They think they got one so that it's yes. done. One and done, baby. We yes. got what? We got one. We got a few. We got a couple here. So we're, we're clearly not racist because my, my, my operations manager is, is black, right? So we're doing all the right things. And, and I think what's important about this initiative, this, this bigger than me success series, and I've trademarked a few terms because we're going to use them very, very strategically. First of all, when we talk about some of the things that happen, I call them corporate chokeholds, right? Similar to, you know, the, the, you know, and there's research around these key challenges, things that we know exist, but a chokehold basically can drain the life from your body. So whether you're the one who's actually having the corporate chokehold or whether you're the person who is um, otherwise um, having to be complicit in the process, right? The, the concept says that we can change all of that. So we'll talk more about corporate chokeholds. I just wanted to establish that there are things that exist, known key challenges, and we're not trying to fix, you know, police brutality, for example. This initiative is fixing achieving racial equity and inclusion in business, education, wealth, and health. We're starting with business. We're doing additional awareness on those other systems as well. It's about changing the system. And one way that we change the system, just listening to what Eddie just said, one way we change the system is when these corporate chokeholds, these key challenges exist, and these are the key challenges are unconscious bias, unequal performance standards, similarity bias, and a lack of CEO accountability. Those are the things that are in research, right, that, that we know these that, that exist, that, that hinder uh, horribly sometimes the careers and lives mm -hmm. of Black and African, African-Americans in, in business. So th this is established. Same thing has been happening for 40 years. And so some of the things that we're going to do, right, will absolutely transform the world. And so, Eddie, when you said, when you gave that example, which was beautiful, and thank you for sharing, there's a moment where if we think about it, happiness, happiness coaches, happiness, you know, authors, you know, this concept of pausing, just stopping in the moment. And so what we've established and what I've established is this term called a bigger than me moment. So when we talk about happiness and igniting happiness, we talk about it's a moment by moment thing that occurs, right? When something bad happens, not that that bad thing didn't happen. You still just choose in the moment how you're going to respond to it. If you're going to still choose joy and choose happiness. Similarly, 
when these corporate chokeholds occur, the proposal is, again, it's called, I'm calling them bigger than me moments. So everyone gets to pause, right? Everyone, whether you're the employee who says, hey, this feels like a bigger than me moment, meaning it's just a moment to pause. Let's pause. Let's think about it. Let's bring some additional voices and faces into this conversation because it's bigger than me. Right, it's, it's the, it, the culture will change moment by moment. So Eddie, if you had a tool, if you could have said, you know what, this feels like a bigger than me moment, it doesn't put your job in jeopardy. As a matter of fact, it can't. Because by definition, culturally, what we're gonna be moving forward is this idea of a bigger than me moment. It's not an indictment. It's a loving learning opportunity to say, we might have an opportunity to learn and grow here. This might be a growth, op an optimization opportunity. Right. It's not, a, it's not a me too moment where we say, Eddie, this feels like a me too moment. You'd be like, oh, uh, no, it wasn't me, right? <laughs> no, and, I, and, I, and I have love and respect for the Me Too moment, but what I'm saying is this concept of a bigger than me moment, yeah. right, is similar. It's, an, it's similar, built on the same principles as a Me Too moment, right, where it's an empowering opportunity for the person, persons, and all those involved. So what, what do you think about that idea, Eddie? What would that have done for you? Yeah. Oh, this is huge. Uh, I mean, when you think about uh, bigger than me, uh, it gives it definitely gives you the opportunity to uh, to really pause and um, try to take yourself personally out of the picture and uh, realize that uh, what is happening in that moment. Because uh, most of the times, I generally believe that most of the times, uh, mistakes like the one I just described uh, happens people without thinking. They're not doing things on, they don't do on purpose. So if there can be a moment whereby you can say, hmm, wait a minute, uh, let me think about this, including me in that moment, if I had thought that way, if I had like a tool like this we're talking about right now, whereby I had to pause and think, I would have probably say, all right, time out, let's, uh, let's talk a little, little bit here and, and take everybody, put everybody back a little bit and, uh, uh, present myself in a way whereby I am not uh, uh, taking a side. However, right. I am, uh, ref, you know, bring everybody on. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, ju ju and just to clarify, there's an entire protocol. There's literally 12 levels of a bigger than me moment, the magic mm. number of 12, right? And, and there, there's a protocol that goes along with, with the, 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 the questions that we add, the assessments that we allow, you know, that, that we have, that happen in the moment. If it's two people, right? If it's larger than that, if it's a group, if it's a team, if it's an organization, if it's broader than that, like, right? So we, we get to look at these things in a very different way. I'm super excited to bring this forward. I just wanted to, when you told your story uh, to me, I was just like, yes, I love this guy because he's willing to tell the story. And how courageous was it for you to be able to actually, you know, reach out to that person? And that's what it is also even having this courage to even speak about it to, uh, to the world. Uh, that too, it took me like a thinking, like, a, am I ready to share? This is so personal. Uh, and I know today I can't put the emotions that uh, I've, 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 I've had in the past. Like when I was speaking to you, Miss Tracy, a couple of days ago, it was an emotional moment. Um, it was over the phone, but we both had to pause, stop, stop talking about it, uh, realizing how important that was. And, uh, and I thank you for actually, you know, helping me understand that in a bigger picture and uh, uh, also telling me that uh, it wasn't actually your fault. Uh, it was a moment that happened uh, that was bigger than you. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. Don't you love that? 
<laughs> Don't you love it? I mean, for me, it's so exciting to be able to bring this concept forward. And, and it's for everyone. So, ladies, I'm just curious. What are your thoughts? We're going to show another video real quick. But I wanted to say, is there anything you want to, that you think about what's been said so far? We need white women to share their perspective, even though you're not from the U.S. Uh, we, we had a session that was amazing. These clips are from a session on 7-7. There were 80, over 80% 80 black people in the room, and we were like, clearly that's not going to change things, right? We got to make sure we're exposing uh, other people to this conversation. So internationally, where are you guys? You're both from the U.K., but I'm just curious, based on what you know of U.S. and what you know of these stories today and what you've heard, what are your thoughts? About about how people. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to to, to make a reference as it relates to, to happiness and just in general. What are your thoughts? So, um, Sarah, I'll jump in first if that's okay. I know you're keen to to have a chat as well there. Um, so, Tracy, uh, I know I've mentioned before to you. I've worked in the corporate world for over thirty years. Uh, I'm also an advanced hypnotherapist, rapid transformational therapist, and a coach. But I also am in the corporate world. I work for a global bank, uh, which is a US-based bank. Um, I've traveled the world for my work and I have seen the difference it makes to be white. I have benefited from it. I have seen it everywhere at every level within the business. It's clear, it's obvious. And you can see the disparity everywhere that you go. And while on the one hand, you, most people, I absolutely believe most people would say they are not biased in any way, shape or form. But equally, the bias is all there. Right. And right. people are either being hurt by it or benefiting from it. Mm. Wow, you don't have to buy my... into it, you know, to to be affected by it. I've seen wow. it. I've been horrified by it. Um, but equally. Um, as Eddie has said, you don't always end up feeling that you're in a position in the middle of the, the storm to, to be able to just, yeah, to stand up right. and say, hang on a minute, right. <laughs> this right, right, is what... wrong. <laughs> Right. I mean, it, it, even if you're white, you probably, I know if you're yeah. black, you're definitely not doing it because you're like, hey, I like seeing my check hit every uh, two weeks. As a matter of fact, it's probably more, right? I mean, it's less likely, unfortunately, for a black person to stand up for another black person in corporate America because there's a slave mentality. If you think about mm. like being on a plantation, think about it. When the black person who had a big mouth was put into the hot box, everybody else was like, oh, don't, don't talk to Tracy because she <laughs> trouble. And I'm not trying to get whipped today, right? I mean, think about it. I'm a troublemaker by definition. I'm a change agent and I'm going to try to drive change and I'm willing to risk my own life and my own, you know, yeah. whatever, but right? The disparity, so. So, the disparity yeah, is there for sure. My, uh, right. my, my partner, my darling, my honey, my, my wonderful other half um, is Indian Malaysian. Okay. Uh, he is an amazing man. He's a corporate lawyer. He also has his own huge business that he's growing. Um, super intelligent guy, but he gets treated like very often a second, third, fourth class citizen mm. because he is a different color. He has come from a different country um, and it happens everywhere. And even in his own country where he's originally from Malaysia, as an Indian Malaysian, he is a third class citizen, basically, within his own country. Mm, interesting. Sarah, what are your thoughts? Thank you for sharing that, Tracy. Thank you. Sarah, what are your thoughts about this? Um, well, I actually did live in the States for a couple of years. 
um, around the East Coast mainly. Um, and I've also been very privileged to have traveled a lot. I've spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia, in, in the Caribbean, all over Europe. And one of the things that has really been a huge lesson to me is knowing that I'm a global citizen, that I'm a part of something bigger. And what I think is we don't realize how we're often these cultural habits are ingrained in us. And to me, being able to travel the world has opened my eyes to seeing how different people live, how different people are received and treated. And to me, I've noticed actually, we have so many more similarities than we have differences. And I think one of the things is that the news to me is, is not a good promoter of um, cultural diversity and inclusivity. And, and one of the things like to me, connecting on people from all over the world on a one-to-one -one basis, listening and hearing people's stories of where they've mm -hmm. come from and, and what's important to them is a real eye-opener. And, and to me, I love it. I love connecting with people, you know, to the point of like wherever I'm living now, you know, I want to seek out those people that are not from the area. Um, well, I love it. Because, that's, actually, that's actually why we have you on because I'm like, I, I'm, you know, we're publishing a book with international authors from all over the country and Ignite Happiness is one half of my passion, right? But the other, justice, right, is one of my core values. The other core value is progress. And progress to me includes things like happiness and joy and all those. So I'm bringing them together because I really do think there's such value in us being able to have people like Eddie share his story and it go all over the world, right? And, and we promote this conversation, not just in the U.S., but also all over the world. So I'm loving this. I'm going to have, um, um, I cannot believe it's already 337. I'm going to have, um, Nate, I'm going to actually have you play uh, whichever video you have up, it's fine. Go ahead and play. Uh, I think Bruce would be next, right? Bruce, Bruce Thompson. And the National Black NBA Association, amazing as it is, we don't always take this type of stand. And so what I'm excited about is we have presidents from all around the country joining together to move this initiative forward. We realize that now is the time. So when I asked Bruce about this letter, which was Amazing. Here's what he had to say. Two messages, Tracy. I think one is certainly that um, what we're in the midst of now is part of a, a longer ongoing struggle. Uh, and I think we've got to all realize that and put that uh, in into context. When we talk about the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and, and so many others, it, it, the fact is there are so many others uh, and and uh, as as was said earlier, we've got to own that. Uh, uh, but uh, it's not enough to talk about it. It's not enough to, uh, at some level, it's not enough to protest about it. It's it's it ought to be a call to action for us to do some things differently uh, about it. And that's really uh, what the essay was about. It it was about the responsibility that we all have to change the status quo to make a difference to address systemic racism in some concrete ways that, that ultimately uh, will lead to its demise. It's also a recognition uh, that, that we have to hold ourselves accountable. As I think about my organization, the organization that I lead, the National Black MBA Association, we have work to do. We have work to do with our various stakeholders, including our partners, including our members, uh, we have work to do. We have work to do in holding ourselves and others accountable uh, for uh, changing the status quo. 
And we have to realize, and that's part of putting it in the, into context, that this is a long-term effort. Uh, it didn't start yesterday. It didn't start a month ago. It didn't start a year ago. It didn't start a hundred years ago. Uh, and therefore, we've got to be prepared for the long haul. We've got to prepared for be prepared for when this isn't the issue of the moment and still work and still uh, push forward uh, because it doesn't happen by itself. It happens because people make the effort on an ongoing basis, on a systemic basis, if you will, to change that. Mm, I love it. I, I love that video. Nate, I'm going to have you get ready to play Michelle Avons as soon as you can. Just let me know. So what I loved about Bruce's video, uh, Bruce's message was the concept, Eddie, that you mentioned was um, you said responsibility and accountability. Those two things are so critical. And, and, and right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you play, play Michelle's video as well. Um, she had something to say about responsibility. Join this bigger than me movement. This is for you. It's for you. It's for us to really change things, change the status quo. So when I asked Michelle, why is this important and why now? Here's what she said. So Michelle Avan, and I am an executive at Bank of America Merrill. I'm in the Merrill line of business. Um, my title is division supervision executive. And so I work with the financial advisors to ensure that we're meeting the goals and objectives of our clients. That's what I do in my day job. Uh, my purpose and my passion is around diversity and inclusion at the organization. And although I'm not paid for that, I do spend a significant amount of time in that space because I just have so much passion about it. And unapologetically with an emphasis on our black African-American employees, which sometimes I think they get forgotten about. Um, so I wanna show them some love and make sure that they know that they're important and that they're valued. So why now and, 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 and why should we be talking about this? I mean, it's time to strike while the iron is hot. I mean, with all of the things that are going on in the world, um, we are sadly mistaken if we think what we see happening in the world is not a carbon copy of what's basically been drug into the corporate America world. It is a replication of that. And um, we have to fix um, some of the uh, discrepancies <laughs> that exist in terms of equality, um, equity, access, and power. And really the only way to do that is to take full advantage of a lot of the movement um, that's taking place in these conversations and then hold corporate America accountable for the very people, the very group that have definitely helped to um, really, um, I'm gonna say support, but I don't mean that in a way in terms of um, calling it neglect, although to some degree you could call it neglect of the things that are happening in this world, and yes, particularly to Black African Americans. And while our Black men are a target for a lot of what we're seeing, let's not get it twisted. Black women, we are seeing a lot of that happening as well. Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, we are on the chopping block as well. And I, I've been asked to participate in a lot of topics nationally with the company. And there are two points that I want to share with this group that I've, I've shared with them. One is that um, racism and discrimination against Black people is not a Black people's problem. That is, it's not a problem that you have to ask us to fix something that we did not ask to participate in. Um, we, we are not the problem. It's a collective. It is a humanity problem. And we've got to get our heads around that and understand and recognize that what has been done before is not working. 
So we need to clearly do something different. And the other is in doing something different, we need to write our narrative collectively on what that looks like. Because if you say nothing, you leave it up for interpretation on what your thoughts, ideas, and opinions are. Even if you don't know what to say, to be honest and genuine, to say, I don't know what to say. I don't know where to begin. What can I do? We have to write the narrative for that. We can't allow absence um, of thought to or commenting on it to step in and speak on our behalf. And we definitely need to hold corporations accountable for um, what they owe to us is just basic human rights of respect and um, common courtesy. Like sometimes this to me seems like such a crazy conversation. Like what, what makes us so different that we don't deserve to be treated like human beings? He had his knee on that man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Come on, y'all. Come on. Come on now. You're right. You're right. And, and I, sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're right. You're 100% correct. And it's interesting. I got some flack when I, when I wrote my first uh, executive summary on this topic because I used the term corporate chokehold. That's, that was my experience, right? And I don't mean that in a bad way, but I mean when we talk about of course, I mean it in a bad way, but I don't mean it in a... In a, in a <laughs> well, listen, Tracy, here's the deal, though. We are making people uncomfortable. We have to stop being in this place of how we were trained and conditioned to think we got to make white people feel uncomfortable. I don't want to make them feel comfortable more anymore. I, I don't. I want you to be uncomfortable, not to the extent that I'm trying to make you feel bad about it. I want to draw awareness to the things that you don't want to talk about that you want to sweep underneath the rug, that is the reality of the life that we live day in and day out. I'm done with trying to make you feel like it's okay. It's not your problem. It's not your fault. It is your problem. And until you recognize and realize that it is your problem, you're not going to do anything about it. So yeah, I do want you to feel uncomfortable. So corporate choco, I like that. I will be using that in my next speech that I do. Thank you. <laughs> well, you're, you're very welcome. And, I, and I'm using it very specific. So we have a session coming up in a moment where we're talking about key challenges. The National Black MBA Association, we did a, a think tank and we focused on key challenges. Wasn't that, wasn't that amazing? That so she had a was lot, wonderful. Yeah, right. What do you got to say about that, Eddie? I got nothing to say. That was amazing, I mean, right? That was amazing. That was wonderful. <laughs> and, 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 and yeah, you have to make people feel uncomfortable. Uh, you know, yeah. And, and, and I think we've reached that point uh, whereby if you don't make people feel uncomfortable, maybe you're not making a difference. You're not making a change. Well, I, I, and, I, and I love that you're saying that. Tracy, you're nodding your head. Why are you nodding your head? I, had, I wanted to have some white women on this call, specifically because you're white women. No <laughs> disrespect, but out of love, obviously, because again, we can't be having this conversation by ourselves. So I was wondering, you're, you're a, a, an executive in corporate America. You, you, you know, we've written an Ignite Happiness book. My goal is to find happiness and equity and inclusion. And I'm in the book Ignite Possibilities because I believe it's possible. So help me, Tracy, what, what, what were you nodding about when it was like, you know, change? How, what, what advice would you tell us to convince white women, white men, non-black executives or black people who don't care uh, why they should get involved? Why is it now time to drive, to help drive change? And Sarah, I'm gonna ask you the same question. What can we share with individuals that look like you that might have a similar background and experience why this is important? So I, I was 
avidly listening to Michelle. Um, people have to be really uncomfortable with this. Mm-hmm. And it becomes really uncomfortable, particularly because in people's hearts, most people are good people, right? Most people are honest, are caring, are loving, are decent people, law-abiding, believing in some form of faith or higher belief, and, and we all think we're good people, and, and most people are. But why is this still going on? Why is this happening if we're, if we're that good? Why is it okay that it goes on? And everybody would say it's not okay. But what are we doing about it? So I think people need to hear the stories. Now, that's really important. You've, you make change happen by sharing the stories. And if more um, white people heard the real day-to-day stories of how this affects people, it would really open up eyes. And again, it's not that all white people are doing this, and, and you would agree to that as well, but they don't understand the impact. Why would they understand the impact? Because they're not generally impacted by it. But it's it's a clear and present danger for a lot of people. Wow, that was deep. Mm-hmm. A clear and present danger. We'll be using that going forward. Thank you very much. A clear and present danger. Sarah, what are your thoughts about this concept? I mean, uh, uh, Michelle Avon had a lot to say um, you know, about making people feel comfortable uh, being uncomfortable. I mean, my, one of my expertise is in this area of adaptive leadership. And adaptive leadership is about change. It's about changing systems. And part of that change is, is about making people feel uncomfortable, feel comfortable being uncomfortable, right? The right amount of uncomfortable so that to your point, there's a level of awareness and then a level of action. What are your thoughts about this? And what advice would you share or give us on how to um, communicate with the broader uh, audience and those with influence on why this is important? Um, to me, I think that it can be a case of like where you've grown up, who is you're surrounded by, that it's only when your eyes are open to other people's views who live in maybe other countries, have experienced, have different experiences in their life, that being uncomfortable enables you to see the injustices that are going on. Um, And I think we need to open our eyes to, you know, how can we help make other people happy? You know, and I think this is one of the things that ties in with what I was saying before. When you find that within yourself, to me, no matter where someone comes from, no matter what, you want other people to feel that joy too. And if there's something that's blocking that, then it's important to make a stand to help other people to, to, to be kind, to reach out that hand and say, how can I help you be happier? How can I help lift you up too? You know, and, and so, and across all cultural divides, you know, like I think as a humanity, you know, what could be better than, than raising that, helping each other and learning how we, we can put injustices to write, you know, and it was a hugely brave story that Eddie said before, you know, because right. we all make mistakes, you know, and um, to go back. But what I loved was that, that that woman was empowered still. She'd had this amazing story. And yet sometimes, you know, it was only by making that call that he was able to learn that. Um, 
And so I think it's a great story because it, it teaches us what can we do next time in that same situation oh. that sometimes we don't see it, you know, and to open our eyes. It's really like I think listening is so key, um, particularly for people like us who are not in that situation. I've never been in corporate America. I've lived in America. So I kind of can see I, I see the divides. I saw the divides, but I don't understand what it feels like because I haven't personally experienced that. So to me, it's about listening and saying, what do you need? How can we help you live a happier, you know, life? Mm, I, I love that. Tracy, I saw you raise your hand. What were you going to say? And then Eddie, I'm going to, I'm going to close with you. We got, believe it or not, nine minutes left. So we'll, well, uh, Tracy, what were your thoughts? So just a little thought, Tracy, coming back to what you said just a moment ago there, um, just as you were bringing Sarah into the conversation, Tracy, you said you want people to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I have a slightly different twist on that. Please. I would love particularly for the subject that we're on right now. Mm-hmm. I would love people to be uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. Because if we start to get comfortable. With comfortable being comfortable. Are you saying no, being, you said uncomfortable being uncomfortable? Correct. So first of all, first of all, we've got to make people uncomfortable with what's going on. We've mm-hmm. got to be able to say this is not right. It's there's fairness is not involved here. There's something wrong in that balance. It's not right. It's uncomfortable. We've got to make that uncomfortable. And if we make people comfortable with being uncomfortable, then we kind of neutralize the impact mm-hmm. of it down. So my take on that to make change happen is to make people uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. Make them uncomfortable first. And make them damn uncomfortable with being that way, so then change happens. Girl, that's deep. That that is my new. We are officially adding that to this initiative. That's why it's called the Bigger Than Me Success Series, because this is so much bigger than me. It is about a collective journey. We are going to be able to change this together. I've done tons and tons of research. I got tons of amazing people that are involved. We have immediate solutions. My Bigger Than Me moment. The reason I've trademarked that term. I have an. Ex- a full protocol that's laid out because it empowers everyone in the process. It's loving and it's kind and it's about igniting happiness. Can you imagine being happy that someone has called a bigger than me moment? It's about joyfully learning together, moving through the, it's intentionally joyful, by the way. So Eddie, if you were in a case, it's like, hey, let's, hey, let's have a bigger than me moment. Yay. Like everyone should be like, yeah, let's do it. Cause, cause the other thing we're adding from an accountability perspective for corporations is how many of these bigger than me moments have you had? When you have those all hand meetings, you should be talking about your bigger than me moments. Oh my God, we had 20 bigger than me moments this, this, this quarter. And we're going to talk about two of them because they were just amazing. Yay. Right? Like, yay. That's the goal for this. That's part of the goal for this initiative. There's ton, tons to it, but that's one of the things that can immediately change things moment by moment, by moment. So Eddie, I just want to ask you, um, first of all, I adore you. I adore all of you for being here for part of this conversation. We have four minutes left. And so what I wanted to do, Eddie, is ask you to share some empowering, encouraging words. I mean, you decided to tell your story, but you also decided to get involved and you're like, I'm going to tell everybody I know. I'm going to drive change. I'm going to to get more people involved in this conversation because what the lady said is, it's about hearing the stories. We can't be talking to ourselves, right? So we got to get more people engaged who don't look like us and don't sound like us and haven't had our same experiences. So Eddie, what words of wisdom, what would you share with those who, uh, as a call to action, as an invitation, 
to, to, to get involved with the Bigger Than Me success series, achieving racial equity and inclusion in business, education, wealth, and health? Yeah, I mean, the, first of all, thank you for providing this platform to be able for me to be able to speak with someone who's in New Zealand, uh, someone who is in uh, Europe, um, and, and to have this conversation, right? Uh, we all just realize that we're all humans. Uh, and uh, this, is, this is big because I've been on the street. I've protested, like, I don't know, maybe 10 times uh, since George Floyd was killed. Uh, right, I, I go on the street, I protest, but how many times are we going to protest? How many times are we going to listen to the speeches? We need uh, platforms like this, like Tracy, Miss Tracy, you've provided. Uh, so uh, first of all, I'm thankful for that, that I'm, we're able to speak uh, in this civil way without shouting uh, over each other, but we're listening to each other. I want to hear uh, uh, what other races think about what's happening in the world right now, what's happening in America. Uh, and, and when we pause and listen to each other and we speak, uh, with intentions of listening is it, powerful. And I don't think this is the first time since I've lived in America that I've been comfortably be able to speak to my white coworkers about race, you know, mm -hmm. like comfortably talking about race, like, hey, something is wrong. Uh, and them listening to me and like, some of them agreeing, you know, and then having debate that's very productive. So I think uh, we have reached this level. If you feel uncomfortable about speaking about race, you need to get comfortable with speaking about race because it's happening. It's not going backwards. We're moving forward. Mm, I love that. So you said, Tracy, get them uncomfortable being uncomfortable. So first get them uncomfortable if you're trying to change the status quo. Continue to tell our stories, which is exactly, absolutely what we're going to do. And then you said, once they're uncomfortable, make sure that they know they have to take some tangible actions in order to not be uncomfortable exactly don't uh, don't allow complacency because mm. getting people uncomfortable in the first place is one step but if we become complacent get comfortable with it change won't happen mm. so it's got to be painful it's got to be unacceptable we've got to be uncomfortable with what makes us uncomfortable wow wow i i, I really really do love that more more than anything anyone want to share any final words i think we have a, maybe another two minutes um any final um any any final call to action anything that you would share with someone say you're talking to satya nadella each of us we're going to give him a i'm calling you out satya in a loving kind way because i actually <laughs> think that satya he he gets it satya, yeah. satya gets it i i, I believe um what's the other lady's name kathleen hogan i think mm -hmm. she gets it from there, I'm a little questionable about that. that I'm just saying, right? Because it changes. There's lots of people in the company who get it. Don't get me wrong. It's an amazing company. But give me 30 seconds to Satya Nadella. What would you say to him right now? Why should he get involved? Sarah, I'll start with you. 30 like seconds. I think Satya, that's important <laughs> to make a stand for something that really is important to humanity. It's not a country thing. It's for us as humans that we need to get behind. I love it. Tracy? We should all be equal. It's about time. Come on. I love it. Eddie, final thoughts? Yeah, I'll tell him, call Tracy Harrell and have a conversation <laughs> with her. Absolutely. Have a, have a conversation about corporate America. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it, Satya! <laughs> this is Tracy Harrell. It's bigger than me.